reading from the book of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days, longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you were going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, 
She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. We do thank you today that we have the opportunity to truly celebrate your birth. Uh, we thank you that uh, we have a season that we call Christmas, where we put our full focus on the fact that you became man and you came to dwell among us. And today, God, we continue just to lift up our worship to you as we have sung about your birth and about the joy that you've brought to this world through your birth. We now turn to your word and we celebrate you by worshiping you from the truth of your word. So open up our hearts. God, help us to continue to worship you by not only hearing your word, but applying it to our life and letting it, letting it bless us as we glorify you and lift up your name and go out to worship you in a powerful way today. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen and amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 11, and today we continue our journey through the, through the gospel of John. Uh, again, we uh, are looking during this season and through this season at why Jesus came to this world. And today we have another reason that God has packaged for us through the writer John of, of why Jesus came to this earth. You know, no one, no one likes to think about death, right? I mean, it's just something that we know is inevitable, we know is coming, but, but no one likes to, to think about death. Uh, our, our Christmas season this year kind of has a different ring to it. Uh, there's a reality to this Christmas uh, that forces us to analyze what we normally wouldn't think about uh, during the Christmas story, during the Christmas season. In fact, it probably wouldn't even be a blip on our, on our radar screen. 
But for believers, this is a necessary part of the Christmas story. It's a necessary part of the gift that God has wrapped for us and packaged for us at Christmas time. And fortunately for us today, it becomes a central theme. It becomes a primary focus uh, for our thinking as we look at God's Word. In Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy in his Messiah prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6, he brings us into this context. Listen to Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there you have it. The greatest gift. No beauty. No majesty. Despised. Rejected acquainted with grief, acquainted with sorrow, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, wounded, born to die. So, some gifts, by their very nature, make you kind of swallow your pride, right? I mean, imagining going this Christmas, Friday, and opening up a Christmas gift that some friend has given you, you tear through the wrapping, you open it up, and it's a book entitled, A Diet You Can Trust, and it's subtitled, How to Lose 200 Pounds and Keep It Off. <laughs> Imagine going and tearing the ribbon and the bow off of another package that another friend has given you, and the title of the book is, Overcoming Selfishness. So if you say, thank you very much, <laughs> you're admitting that you are overweight or that you are obnoxious. See, some gifts are hard to receive because they make us admit that we have weaknesses. They make us admit that we need help. And that's what we have before us today in the greatest gift that we have ever received. In John chapter 11, the chapter begins with an announcement that we're far too familiar with today. 
We heard it read earlier. It goes like this. A certain man who happened to be one of the best friends of Jesus was sick. Sick. Interesting, right? Now you take that and lay that over into our context of Christmas in 2020. And that's not a strange story today, is it? This friend had two sisters who were best friends of Jesus as well. And these two sisters messaged Jesus for help. And the response that Jesus gave was not what the sisters imagined. Isn't that often how Jesus works? Isn't it often when, when He works, He works in ways that are different from what we would do if we were writing the script. What we would do if we were forming the response. So in John chapter 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. So glorifying God in every situation in life matters. There is no situation in life, I don't care how grim it may appear to be, that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we can allow God to use that situation to bring glory to Him. And that's the setting that we find today. This account is about Jesus and God being the same person. Verse 5 indicates that Jesus had a special place in His heart for His friends. Jesus has friends. And Jesus says to you and me that you are my friends if you do whatever I've commanded you. So you could very well be in this number of Mary and Martha who were friends of Jesus. This very same number of Lazarus who is a central character in this part of the narrative. In verses 6 through 16, we see that to demonstrate His love and to maximize the glory of God and the glory of Jesus, that, that God's timing in this, in this situation was perfect. God's timing is always perfect. In, in your life, in my life, there may be a mystery there, but, but God's timing is always right on target. It's perfect. And so in God's timing, you heard the story, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. I mean, he had the power, he had the authority to not allow Lazarus to die. But Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. It does matter that Jesus loves you. It does matter that God's timing is perfect. And it is true that sometimes God's ways are not our ways. And that's part of the big picture story of life. Jesus waited a couple of days and then to make sure that no one misunderstood that his friend Lazarus had really died, four days later, Jesus finally made the two-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethany. But in the waiting time, in that waiting time before Jesus performed the miracle, 
there were some lessons that Jesus wanted to teach his friends, and we can learn those lessons today as well. So let's look at them. Three lessons for true believers. Right out of this account in John chapter 11, based on the greatest gift that God has to offer you and me, based on why Jesus actually came into this world, Noel, the birth, why he came. First of all, Jesus brings comfort to the grieving heart. We see that in verses 17 through 20 of John chapter 11. Verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated at the house. So why did Jesus wait four days before showing up at the tomb of Lazarus? Jesus was in this ongoing debate, as we have seen, as if you've tracked with us through uh, the I Am statements in the book of John. Jesus was in this ongoing debate with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day about his identity, about who he really was. Now, the Pharisees were a group of people, religious leaders, who believed that when a person died, their spirit hovered over that body for three days. And their hope was that maybe in those three days, the spirit would reconnect with the body and the person would continue to live. That could have been why Jesus waited four days, because waiting four days meant that there was no way the Pharisees were going to misunderstand the fact that Lazarus was really dead. Jesus had already said that to his disciples, but he wanted everybody to know that Lazarus was truly dead. After three days, there would have been some hope. But after four days, there was no hope. So Jesus waited four days. In verses 39, after Jesus came to the tomb, Martha said, by this time there will be an odor. There was a reality to the fact that Four days had passed and Lazarus was truly dead. Why, why do you think in verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, why do you think Jesus wept? We say, Roddy, that's, that's, that's obvious. When, when someone has somebody who's close to them, who's really a friend of theirs, and they have a loved one who dies, there's a sense of compassion there that, that causes one to be tearful, that causes one to cry. But the Bible says Jesus wept. He agonized in his soul. He was filled with compassion for his friends. You know how that feels. I know how that feels. A few years ago, one of our members of our church who was on a missionary journey to a European country died while he was in that country. A strange kind of death. Only 22 years old. And I remember sitting with that family and sitting across the dining room table as we looked at photographs of the body of our friend, their son. And I remember not being able to hold back the tears 
One reason was the compassion I had for the family. They were agonizing over this. Another reason was I was missing my friend. I was grieving. I was tearful. I was sorrowful. But also, my tears reminded me of just kind of the agonizing mystery that, that goes along with the emotion that comes along with, with death. And so tears flowed. Tears are a necessary and appropriate part of the grieving process. Nobody really knows why, why Jesus wept around the family. He knew the story. He knew what was going to unfold. And yet, no one can deny the fact that Jesus showed compassion for his friends. And that's a good principle for all of us as we experience this kind of time that we live in today with death being such a reality before people. Jesus brings comfort to the grieving heart. And our English word for comfort, two Latin words, confortis, with strength. And that's what compassion does. That's what tears, when we share tears with our dear friends over the loss of their loved ones, we bring a sense and a source of strength to them. Jesus certainly modeled that. Every grieving heart needs at least five things to survive, and I'm not going to go in detail with these five, but I just want you to know them because you've experienced them, and Jesus experienced them in this passage as well. The first thing every grieving heart needs is comfort, and most often comfort comes by friends just showing up, just being there and, you know, holding one another touching one another, loving one another just by presence, just by presence. Another thing every grieving heart needs is security, knowing that there is power in community. There's power in showing love for one another. A third factor that every grieving heart needs is healing. And sometimes healing can come through sharing appropriate words. I understand I said appropriate words. There's some words you should never say when you are dealing with someone who is suffering from the loss of a loved one. One of those things you should never say is, I know how you feel. <laughs> don't ever say that because you don't know how somebody feels. Notice Jesus stayed away from that altogether. But there are appropriate words like, I love you, I care for you, there is hope. There are appropriate words to share. Fourthly, companionship, knowing, knowing someone cares really does matter. And when you're there with them, again, it's the same as the comfort principle. Companionship brings a source of strength, sometimes like nothing else. And then finally, there's a sense of purpose. Grieving hearts need to know that these may be baby steps. They may be, may be tiny little baby steps, but, but soon or later, purpose is going to be restored. And there is a purpose for God leaving you here and taking the loved one. 
And so Martha and Mary experienced this kind of compassion from Jesus because Jesus brings comfort to the grieving heart. There's a second thing that we see from this narrative. Another lesson from this gift that God has packaged for us. And that is that Jesus brings hope to the faithful heart. Jesus brings hope to the faithful heart. We see that in verses 21 through 25 of John chapter 11. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then in verses 28 to 32, Jesus called for Mary, the other sister, to come and join them. And when she saw Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha's and Mary's appeals were from a genuine heart. They truly knew Jesus. They truly loved Jesus. And their faith in Jesus did not waver. Martha said, look back in verse 22, Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So their faith, Mary and Martha's faith, opened the door for Jesus to work an incredible miracle. But the miracle that Jesus worked for them had a greater purpose than even they realized. And it carries over to a great implication for you and me today. You understand that it's the object of faith that brings hope. The object of faith brings hope. Martha and Mary knew the source of their hope. The source of their hope was Jesus. Their faith was in that reliable relationship that they had with a relevant redeemer, a relevant friend. They didn't understand everything about Jesus, just like you don't understand everything about Jesus. But they knew that they could trust Him. They knew that their faith was in Him. And more than anything today, that's what thousands of people need in our generation. That's what many people need in this room. The source of true faith. You know, hope is that sense of expectancy and optimism that, that, that God wants to instill within all of those who love Him and have faith in Him. One of my favorite people in the world is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. I've known him from a distance. Back in the early 90s, I had the opportunity of sitting in an audience with him speaking and in small group kind of settings with him, that kind of thing. He's gone on to be a great preacher out in Texas. He was the investigative editor for the Chicago Tribune back, Tribune back in the 70s. And he set out to prove that Christianity was 
false, that there was no foundation to Christianity at all. And he knew that if he could disprove the resurrection, that he could prove the fact that, that there was nothing to Christianity. And in the integrity of his research, guess what? He became a believer. He became a solid believer. He's written books like The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith and The Case for the Resurrection. In his book, The Case for Hope, here's what Lee Strubble says, and I quote, Hope is an overriding confidence God gives, reminding us that even in the midst of our greatest problems, He is still with us. He is greater than any challenge we might face. He goes on in that same book and says, it is the inextinguishable flicker that God ignites in our souls to keep us believing in the prevailing power of His light even when we are surrounded by utter darkness. And then finally he says, hope is the quiet resolve God hardwires into our spirit that clings to the promise that for those who love God, He works in all things to ultimately bring about good for His glory. That's what Jesus was talking about here in, in John chapter 11. He was talking about the fact, the thread that runs through this whole story is the fact that life is about God's glory. Life is about you and me giving glory to God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38, the Bible says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you're talking about something to celebrate at Christmas. We have something to celebrate this Christmas because I am sure that neither death nor life nor anything else can separate us from the love of God. Do you believe that? That's where our hope lies. The human spirit needs hope in order to survive and especially in order to thrive. If you lose hope, you lose the capacity to live. There have been study after study after study of prisoners of wars who have, who have been uh, captured and placed in prison camps. And in the same camp, there have been those prisoners of war who have literally died for no other reason other than the fact that they've lost hope. And in that same prison camp, there have been those who have thrived and later been rescued and come out of those prison camps holding on to the hope that they have for life. A recent Gallup poll observed that people, and I quote, appear to be searching with a new intensity for spiritual moorings. One of the key factors prompting this search is a need for hope in these troubled times. End of quote. Isn't that true? In the troubled times that we live today, those who believe in Jesus Christ have hope. Great hope. There's never been a more secure time of hope than this. 
the Bible refers to God as the God of hope. 97 times in the Old Testament, the Bible refers to hope. 83 times in the New Testament, the Bible refers to hope. That means if you take away the Saturdays and the Sundays, there's enough hope in the Bible for every other day in the year <laughs> for us to hold on to. We have great hope in the power of God. And Jesus demonstrated that the basis of real hope is the resurrection life that he offers. And he offered that to the friends of Lazarus, didn't he? Hope is not wishful thinking. You understand that, don't you? It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just wishing on a star. I can hope that I'm going to become a billionaire, and guess what? <laughs> it is never going to happen. Never going to happen. Hope also is not blind optimism. Heard about these two kids that a mom and dad had. In fact, Lee Strobel writes about this in The Case for Hope. The pessimistic child, nothing could ever go right. The optimistic child, nothing could ever go wrong. They said, you know, we're tired of this. We're going to settle this deal. And so one Christmas Eve, they went into the room of the child who was a pessimist, and they filled the room with every toy that a child could imagine, every toy that a child could want. They went into the room of the optimist child, and they filled the room with horse manure. So the next morning, they jumped up out of bed, and they ran into the room of the child that was the eternal pessimist. And the child was laying there in bed with the cover pulled up over his chin, sucking his thumb. And the parents said, what are you doing? All these toys in this room. And he said, oh, I was afraid that if I opened one of them, I might break it. So they go rushing into the room of the eternal optimist child. And he's in there having the time of his life. He's just digging around in, in, in that manure. And they looked at him and they said, what are you doing? He said, he said, you know, I know if I keep digging, I'm going to find that pony. <laughs> but listen, the hope that Jesus showed with the resurrection of Lazarus was not blind optimism. It was deeper than that. Also, hope is not just hopeful dreams. Biblical hope is not just hopeful dreams. Dreaming, you know, I could dream all I wanted to about becoming the Masters golf champion. <laughs> and guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Biblical hope is more than just dreaming about something. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to do everything that He has promised that He's going to do. And we read about in the opening chapter, Isaiah chapter 53, where God was going to send the Redeemer into the world. He was going to send the Messiah into the world. And Martha and Mary were able to get a direct picture of that promise that God had made in the picture of their brother dying and Jesus performing this miracle for him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, listen, this is to you. This is to you, so I want you to listen carefully. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now listen, if you have a loved one who has died knowing Jesus, believing in Jesus, today they are experiencing what you and I one day will experience through the resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ. And that is the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, for those who believe. How can you not get excited about this Christmas package that God has wrapped up for us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Jesus brings hope to the faithful heart, and I pray today that that's you. I pray today that that's every one of you. But there's a third lesson from this gift, and that's found in verses 24 to 27. Jesus brings confidence to the believing heart. Now let me just pause here for a moment. My prayer today is everyone who is listening to this story, this account of a true story that happened, documented, has happened, I pray that everyone who's listening today is a true believer. Because if you are a true believer, then you can have confidence that the promises Jesus makes here can be claimed by you. Listen to verse 24. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, here's the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Ego, I me. I am who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you? Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That word means Messiah. That word means the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 that Isaiah was prophesying about. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Yes, I believe. See, Jesus is the source of the resurrection life. The believer, the believer will never experience real death, eternal death. Every believer who has died will yet live eternally. Because Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. And when we receive this gift that God offers, this package that God offers, we receive not just life on this earth, but eternal life. And true life only exists through the relationship that a person can have with Jesus. Do you have that relationship? Do you have that relationship with Jesus? Because we can experience true eternal life through Him and with Him if we believe. 
if we believe. See, Martha's declaration of faith is what every true believer has. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Now, let me draw your attention as we head down the runway here, head toward the home stretch. Let me, let me kind of draw a picture of what this truly means. I take the bow and the ribbon off the package that God has delivered, and the gift inside reveals to me that I'm a sinner. I'm selfish. I'm self-serving. I judge people. I want to control my own circumstances. I want attention to be drawn to me. I don't want anyone or anything telling me what I have to do. I, I keep digging around in that manure of life, hoping that I'm going to find something better. But in myself, I'm just like that kid in that bedroom digging around in his room. I'm never going to find anything better because I'm a rotten, dirty sinner. And the package, the gift that God offers reveals that to me. But I continue to open up that package after I admit that's me. That, that's me. I admit it. And the gift says... I love you. God's arms are open wide. He says, I love you. I love you enough to lay down my life, to sacrifice my blood, to pay for the price of the penalty of your sin and set you free from the penalty of your sin. My life blood is all you need and that's the gift that I offer to set you free from the penalty of your sin. Do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe that you can receive the gift that I offer? And my prayer for you today is that you truly do believe. A friend of mine recently died from COVID-19. And the person who likely passed the infection on to my friend said, why didn't God work a miracle? We had thousands of people praying. Why didn't God work a miracle? He did. God did work a miracle. For those who believe, Jesus said it best, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you see it? Do you see the victory in Jesus? Do you see the miracle that Jesus is? In the next chapter of John, chapter 12, verse 24, the Bible says that Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's what Jesus has done. He went to the grave. He died. And on the third day, he arose from the grave so that you and I can live forever. 
true life. That's what Jesus did. Jesus has the power over life and death. And Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And Him forgiving your sins and Him forgiving my sins is what builds the bridge between God and us for us to have eternal life. That's the confidence we have in eternal life. He is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus alone brings confidence to the believing heart. Now, let's conclude this with one application. And my prayer is that every single person here, every single person hearing this message can respond to this. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the only sure foundation for faith and life. That's it. The resurrection of Jesus. God packaged His greatest gift to you and me in the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ. Life has one purpose. Jesus stated this way back in the very first part of chapter 11 of John. Life has one purpose, and that is for God to be glorified in your life and through your life. Everything God does can bring glory to Him through the way you live your life. I picture this like the trunk of a tree. The trunk of a tree is Jesus, the resurrection and the life. That trunk has two main branches. One main, one main branch is you placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You placing your faith in the resurrection power of Jesus. The other branch is you sharing that resurrection life that God gives you to other people. That's it. And both of those are designed to bring greatest glory, greatest glory to God. Last month, <clears throat> the ice maker on my refrigerator at home died. You know, they do that. 12 or 13 years old. And so I went online, I googled the part number. And this guy came on with a video showing me exactly how to replace that ice maker. You know, you take four screws loose and you unplug the, 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 the main board uh, that's inside the refrigerator. Uh, you, you obviously turn the, uh, unplug the refrigerator to start with. I mean, he perfectly showed how to do it. And so I ordered it. I ordered the replacement ice maker. The day that ice maker arrived at our house, I went to the freezer, I opened the door, and guess what? The ice bin was full of ice. True story. Actually happened. So I emailed the company where I'd bought the ice maker replacement from, and they emailed me back, and they said, Mr. Bird, we just want you to know that for 12 months, you can send that ice maker back, and we'll give you a full refund. Here's what the manufacturer knows about those ice makers, though. They don't last forever. They're not made to last forever. So I'm keeping that sucker until next year, because at some point it might, you know, it might go out. And that's... But I look at what Jesus was saying to Martha and Mary. And, and Jesus physically raised Lazarus from earthly death, from human death. But then guess what? A few years later, Lazarus 
died a physical death. But Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood on the cross for your sin and my sin. And on the third day he arose from the grave, never to die again. So that you and I can experience not just life on this earth, but eternal life. Eternal life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. We have victory. There's nothing for us to fear about what we call death on this life because death in this life is just, I mean, it's just a, a passageway from what we know is life on this earth to eternal life with God in glory forever and ever and ever. In 1739, Charles Wesley said it this way, Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. John chapter 11 gives us three models for what you might experience in understanding and accepting this resurrection life. In verse 16, we read it earlier, Thomas declared, let's go die with Jesus. Now, Thomas had full intention when he said that, of standing alongside of Jesus to the very end. But guess who wasn't at the cross with Jesus? Thomas. I mean, he wasn't even in the upper room when the apostles gathered after the resurrection of Christ. He talked a good talk, but he failed to follow through at this particular time in his life with walking the walk. Now don't be so quick to judge Thomas, because when we sing about Noel, Noel, the birth of Christ, celebrate the birth of Christ, when we say Merry Christmas to people, and really we mean it, just like Thomas meant it. Are we consistent with following Jesus all the way through whatever life has to offer us? Because that's what Martha and Mary did. In verse 27, Martha and Mary said, Lord, I believe. And then they backed it up with their actions. And they're in eternity with Jesus today celebrating because they backed it up with their actions. But then in verse 45, here's the greatest news. The greatest news is, the Bible says, just like he has in the other four I am statements, many believed. And my prayer for you today is that you'll join me in being part of the many. Born to die. So you can live, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Do you believe that Jesus paid the debt for your sin? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you received the gift of the resurrection and the life? And are you willing to share the gift? of the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is overcoming death. Life is eternal life with Jesus. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so Palmetto Shores, Noel, Merry Christmas. Father, thank you for allowing us to experience in a personal way the reality of what Martha and Mary experienced in a physical way. God, how I pray that you will open up our hearts to the gift that you've offered through your resurrection life. I pray that as we work through the rest of this Christmas season, even into 2021, God, how I pray that the message of this account in the life of Jesus and Martha and Mary and Lazarus would be fuel to the fire of every believer in God's family here at Palmetto Shores. God, how I pray that if there's a person here who's listening today who has never given their life to Jesus, that today, today will be the day when they say, yes, I believe. God, thank you that you bring us forth from the power of death, that death no longer has a hold on us. And we continue to worship you now by joining together and, and, and celebrating the reality, celebrating the fact that we have victory over death. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship.